Hello and welcome to Musical Pathways, the podcast which focuses on the different pathways musicians take in order to reach their musical goals. Today we're going to be talking to another teacher here at Musical so you can get to know them a bit better. Our guest today is a folk fiddle maestro who I can also call a fellow bass player. He has a vast amount of experience in a wide array of genres, having worked in rock bands, to orchestras, to folk groups, along with teaching at the Cornwall Music Service Trust. He's joined us here at Musicale teaching the fiddle maintenance and the folk fundamental syllabus, along with his fellow musician, Jamie Toms. Today we complete the set. It's Macquarie and Tom's set. It is Stuart Macquarie. How's it going, Stu? Very good, thank you. Awesome. So as I said at the top, we're just going to have a look at the ways in which you've developed your skills in order to reach your goals and become a professional musician. And while doing that, we're going to take some stops along the way and just have a general chat. But we're going to start all the way back at the beginning. What role did music play for you in your early years? So I've always grown up listening to music. Um, Dad's always played music at home. Uh, he used to go to folk clubs a lot, playing the guitar and singing. Uh, and also we had a piano at home, which he always played. Uh, so from an early age, I started playing violin when I was about eight. Um, for some reason, there was always a violin in the house, even though nobody played it. I suppose it was it's maybe just sowing the seed of maybe this would be a great idea for you to do. Do you reckon, do you reckon that was actually the goal? Do you reckon he, it, he put it there like, mm, maybe... I, I've done the same with my daughter. I've like stuck a piano. Just well, I don't play piano at all. She's got, but she's got a keyboard there. You know, yeah, just in one. case. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it's actually my uh, granddad used to go to auctions a lot, and um, he sort of had had this idea that if you could play an instrument, you could play absolutely any instrument. Um, <laughs> so I suppose that's probably where the violin originally came from. But having seen it around so much, I thought I'd like to play it. And so from about the age of eight, uh, I started having lessons. Do you say your dad was a musician as well? Yeah, dad was, um, he plays guitar and piano, not professionally, but he's always done it as a hobby and has enjoyed playing in folk clubs. And but you got like a kind of musical back musical background there, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And when he was in uni, he used to um, teach in the prison in Plymouth. Oh my God, really? <laughs> yeah, he, it was one of his um, little money earners was teaching guitar to inmates in Dartmoor prison that's pretty cool isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah that is a pretty cool thing to do so you started playing violin when you were eight yeah what well, when did you start playing bass because you play both don't you yeah so I started um playing bass when I went to secondary school right and it was sort of as a result I suppose partly of being involved in the all the different school bands orchestras and playing the violin in the jazz band uh, which was great, but it didn't, you know, quite fit in the sort of stereotypical way yeah. that you might want it to. Um, and I've always enjoyed that sort of really deep, rich bass sound. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, Dad used to have a Kaylee band, so playing for band dances and things like that. And I remember sitting in the band, playing the violin when I was younger, you know, just playing in on the gig. And the one thing that really stuck with me was that sort of chesty feel of the bass guitar. Yeah, yeah, um, and that just kind of caught you. Yeah, exactly. And there was a there was a bass guitar that um, my mum had, and I just picked it up and you know sort of taught myself to start with, um, just following through the tuition book. Did you teach yourself violin as well, or 
No, so I learned violin classically. Right. Okay. Um, I worked my way through the grades with a teacher. Cool. And then that was in school, I guess. That was in school. Yeah. Nice, nice. And then, and then the bass, you kind of was more self-taught. But I guess you were transferring the skills that you'd already learned on the violin across. Yeah. So all of the all of the um, you know notation skills I'd learned on the violin, I could transfer across. I'd also had lessons in jazz piano. Oh, nice. Um, so obviously I had the bass clef side of things sorted from that. And then it was really just a case of transitioning the sort of physical elements of where you put your fingers and some technique. Yeah. Uh, but obviously with dad being a guitar player as well, he was able to show me a lot of technique. And then alongside that, sort of playing in ensembles at school, we got some guidance and help with that. Yeah, it's amazing how just learning those basic um, reading skills how easier it makes learning a second instrument because you've you already can understand the kind of harmonic part of the learning so you just need to fill in the gaps with the kind of technique i guess like you said sure it's like that part of learning music is is learning how to read music and once you can read you know if you can read a book for example reading another book's quite easy yeah yeah and you can sort of apply the same thing to music. If you know the rhythms, you can just apply that to a new instrument. You're still holding a note for a certain length of time or trying to play a rhythm. Uh, it's just, like you say, the physical side of how to get that done. Yeah, I think I think that's a great argument for um, learning to read score, you know, because I know that is quite often a, um, a binding point for some students because, you know, they want to play especially for guitarists, I think, it's a real binding point because they, they just want to play guitar. You know, they just want to play Green Day. And we're like, look, maybe you should learn a bit of this score stuff. And the thing is, if they learnt it, then it would mean that they've kind of opened up to any instrument that they then wanted to move on to. And I have had that happen with um, classical students in primary, you know, always play classical and then went to secondary and then they might have started bass or they might have started piano or drums you know but they were able to transfer their skills so easily that learning that new instrument they had like a boost into it like a step up to learning it yeah sure i mean that's i think that's the great thing about music isn't it is like you don't you don't have to just be a violinist or a piano player or a bass player and like you say you're you know as a as you get older, your tastes change. It might be that you used to love classical music and then you transition into jazz or rock or you maybe you started yeah, off yeah. learning rock and you sort of develop and think, actually, you know, jazz has got a lot to offer with some more interesting and different soundscapes that you don't get in rock music. Yeah, which tends to be a fairly actual common progression for rock guitarists. You know, they they hit a point and, you know, they, they start tippling into jazz quite quite quickly um but yeah having that backing is really useful and i think if you learn piano you know that's like the optimum instrument for transferring into other instruments because you've just got that full breadth of knowledge when it comes to harmony and reading all the clefs well not all but you know treble and bass yeah i I definitely agree yeah how long did you learn piano for long or was it kind of like a like a fill-in just to fill out your theory side? When I started senior school, um, I had the opportunity to start learning jazz piano there. Um, and I did it for the first three years. Who taught you that? 
Simon Latash. Okay, cool. And he, yeah, he sort of like guided me through through a lot of the the theory and everything behind it, as well as the notation. Yeah. Uh, but having that, like you say, that knowledge of reading the bass clef, also reading the treble clef, even has like set me up well for being able to lead or- orchestras and ensembles. You know, just that fact of following two staves of music at the same time. Yeah. It introduces that idea of following more than one thing happening than just the melody at once. Yeah, I'm so bad at multitasking. Like, I I think if I if I had learnt piano, my multitasking would be way better than it is at the minute. I mean, <laughs> it's one of my big regrets is not learning piano more seriously. I mean, I can play basic piano, but being a bit more serious about it, I I do kind of regret doing that when I was a bit younger um but i started a bit late anyway so it kind of i had i had to go full steam ahead on one instrument (laughs) so what was your first performance then you said you played with your dad in the like folk group was that like the first kind of performance thing you did or did you do stuff on the violin before that or was it later well starting off i mean obviously we're doing um learning violin in school and then you get your school concerts and chances to play little solos, maybe in the Christmas performance, you know, you just play yeah. a little little piece. And then building up from that um, at primary school, we, we always had um, a big concert in October and everyone was always encouraged to take part in that. Was that like a specifically music concert as well? That was a specifically music concert. So I went to um, Helen Village School to start with. And then I moved halfway through primary school to Truro Prep School. Oh, cool. And then I went on to Truro Senior School. Um, one of the things that, that Truro School has always done is put on um, a concert in the Hall for Cornwall in the autumn term. Yeah, they are really musical there, aren't they? Yeah. At, at that school, super musical. I mean, obviously, CMST are based there. So <laughs> just to add to the musical reputability, I think it's cool that they, they offer those opportunities. Did you ever find performing scary at a young age, or was it because your dad always oh, did yeah. it? It was alright. No, no, I was I was always very very nervous um, with performing. I always feel quite self conscious and sort of very aware of not wanting to make a mistake. And I suppose that fear of you know either letting the other people in the band down or the ensemble down, or just that sort of you know I've, I've never been one to be the center of attention i quite happy to sort of take a back seat with with things in that sense and that's funny isn't it because you're now obviously in a duo so you it's pretty hard to escape the center of attention yeah i mean when you're when you're the melody player in a duo or even the accompanist in a duo there is nowhere to hide no and i suppose in in some ways that's one of the things i really enjoyed about playing the bass guitar yeah, yeah. was although you've got such a fundamental part to play, you know, keeping the, the bass lines and, and structuring the harmony of a piece and also working with the drummer to keep everyone in time, being part of the rhythm section, um, there is that element of just being able to sit back a little bit. You know, yeah, you're, in, yeah. you're in the back row of the band, you're sort of forming the foundations for everything else and you've got your melody players or singers playing on top, maybe taking more of the front sort of stage light. It's definitely a confidence booster being able to do that because then like, you know, if you come up, you can feel comfortable being in that backing position. And then when someone comes up and they're like, oh, I really enjoyed that. 
it's like you get that little confidence boost and i know i used to be so nervous like so afraid of playing a wrong note which now just baffles me i'm like there is no such thing as a wrong note so i don't understand why i was so nervous of it but i think it's just one of those irrational fears when you're a when you're a kid isn't it we we do focus on notes being right or wrong even if that isn't always the case and yeah i i see your point i mean i play in a free piece a lot and it's it's kind of it's your rock equivalent to a two piece i guess in that there's not much room to hide when you've each got to feel like two other people's places and yeah it's it's um it can be a bit daunting sometimes and it is blatantly obvious when you make a wrong note <laughs> yeah i suppose it's that it's also that like perceived sense of of either risk or exposure because realistically if you're playing bass in a jazz band you you are the only person that's playing the bass yeah and there might be a whole section of saxes yeah yeah but what you maybe perceive as oh i'm just a backline player and it maybe just gives you that boost of confidence but in actual fact you know, if you or the drummer or the guitarist goes wrong or plays something wrong, it's really obvious. Yeah. Especially in jazz where the bass is like doing that movement role, isn't it? You know, it's kind of moving the band forward through the different chords. Um, it's it's really, really obvious when it's not quite in the right place. But equally, you know, there's a bit more leeway in jazz. So it's a cool place to be when you're just starting out i guess yeah it's it's probably a good learning opportunity for a bass instrument yeah i think i think that yeah one thing that goes with all instruments is actually playing a variety of styles yeah and different genres of music that brings out the sort of great things about that genre and also the not so great things um like say maybe jazz allows you to feel like you can be a little bit more experimental with the notes you play um, or maybe it's slightly more forgiving. Maybe playing folk music um, gives you a feeling that like you can just really have fun. You know, a lot of folk music is designed to sort of be played to accompany dancing or yeah. dancing for social events, which are purely there just to have fun. Um, and again, maybe that releases some inhibitions or the fact that you play in a symphony orchestra, you're surrounded by 50, 60 other people. You definitely don't feel like if you, you know, make one little mistake or or stop playing for just a few seconds that you're going to be heard. Yeah, yeah. It's a good point, you know, and I said at the top that you've you've played through loads of genres and styles of music. It does make you more well-rounded as a musician doing that. And I, I know it's when you first start out, it's quite difficult to do that because your mind is very linear and focused on, you know, you've got one or two songs that you'd really like to learn. But I think taking that step and expanding it is definitely a good bit of advice. I try and do it for a lot of my students, you know, just suggest them something to listen to even sometimes. Just You don't even have to play it, but just listening to a different genre of music can really open your eyes. Yeah, and you just, you might even surprise yourself or, you know, it might be that that opens up another opportunity that you just weren't expecting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd always really liked playing, like I say, folk music and classical music. Uh, and I'd played sort of as I got older um, into sort of late, late teens. And when I left school, playing a lot in the classical orchestras in Cornwall. Um, 
But then that very quickly led to being asked to play in the pit. Right, yeah, yeah. For shows and stuff. So you, all of a sudden you're thrown into a completely new world between playing for operas down at the Minac Theatre, so got that sort of side of things, to playing things like playing for Legally Blonde. <laughs> um, a completely opposite side of the sort of theatre spectrum. Yeah. You know, those, those experiences, they're, they're just such great fun. And it's that having that variety. I suppose they always say variety is the spice of life, which sort of sounds cheesy, but having the variety in the music that you play really keeps your interest and I suppose can always focus you into trying new things and making you practice things that maybe you wouldn't have chosen to yourself. Yeah. But it's all cumulative knowledge. You're getting a more rounded, better musician. Yeah. And those, those musical theatre type shows as well, they, they are very rarely all the same kind of music. I know that there are a few which are, you know, say Motown focused or whatever, but playing wise, they can diverge massively, can't they? I only played the School of Rock musical in the pit and I was playing electric guitar. So I was like blasting through all these electric guitarists. I was like, oh, cool. And then it just like cut and it was like a pop ballad with like a, like a upbeat, like acoustic guitar riff just like bang in the middle of the you know sort of a grease style piece mm. right in the middle of the performance and you were like well i didn't see that coming like that just came out of nowhere but like you say it, it made it interesting i wasn't just like thrashing out power chords the entire night it it kind of spiced it up and it was it was a really nice song actually i came to really enjoy it but i don't know if i'd have ever learned it by itself so, yeah, that opportunity expanded my mind at that point, I guess. Yeah, sure. And having that um, ability to adapt your play into that style, yeah, you know, that that's sort of one of those things that uh, pro- producers or directors of the show are looking for. You know, it's no good just having the best rock musician in the world to come and play the rock riffs because at the same time they're going to have to switch it up and be able to go to acoustic styles or maybe there'll be a jazz number in there as well yeah and i think especially for the world of show playing people are looking for really really well-rounded musicians yeah yeah especially maybe more at an amateur dramatic level and slightly above than a than a out and out um you know broadway sort of level or west end level i think like the amdram kind of side they do tend to switch out a few songs don't they try and be a bit more current or try and play around with it a bit more and and that does mean that you are jumping genres a lot more i played in like greece as well and and that's pretty similar all the way through you know i'm i'm playing one three five bass lines for the majority of the songs in that show but that's what you expect from Greece, and I know like Hairspray is super Motowny when I played that. So you expect Motown riffs for most of the song. That's cool. That's there. There are a couple like slightly different ones, but for the most part, that's what you expect. But the dramatic ones, you know, <laughs> you might be playing Michael Jackson and then straight into Queen or Drake or something. You know, it could just be absolutely anything depending what the director's picked out. Yeah, exactly. And if you're you know, if you're an aspiring musician and you're looking to 
be able to take music to the next level and play do it professionally there's so many different avenues and routes in that you can take but at the end of the day in my opinion being really versatile is going to open up more opportunities than just following one really really strict way in yeah um and a lot a lot of music and you know progressing as a musician or or getting yourself well known it's not necessarily just about how good you are no it's about the people that have heard you or who you know or you know, it's just like luck of the draw sometimes a lot of the festivals that jamie and i have been invited to as our as our duo we've been invited to one festival off the back of another yeah, yeah. performance you know it might have been that we were just playing a pub gig and it happened to be the festival organizer was there yeah for example jamie and i got asked to play at glastonbury a few years ago and that came solely off the back of a support gig that we played in bodmin um <laughs> for a band called Fairport Convention, which was a like really massive gig anyway for such a prestigious folk band to be supporting them. So it was sort of a three-step journey because then that support gig had come out of playing for smaller gigs and festivals. Yeah. So we'd got recommended from a festival to support Fairport Convention. And then at that gig, there was an organiser at Glastonbury. And then he approached us afterwards and said, hey guys, I really liked your set. Would you come and play at Glastonbury for us? Yeah. And we're sort of thinking, yeah, well, that'd be great, but, you know, we're never going to hear from this guy again. <laughs> um, and then, you know, a few months later, here comes the email. Would you like guys like to come up? Here are the dates. This is the deal. And that's, that's it. But had we not taken that opportunity to play for the support slot gig, we wouldn't have got the Glastonbury and, gig. And probably even before then. And if we hadn't played at the festival gig yeah we wouldn't have got in it and there's so many occasions like that that happen yeah yeah in your music career yeah i suppose it's never turn anything down isn't it if you can. Yeah, yeah 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 no i totally agree i totally agree i think that like um music has this weird like me meandering path hence the name of this podcast and it, it just leads to new steps you know if you if you take a chance you'll get opportunities arrive out of it so always worth doing would you say that glastonbury was your favorite performance you've ever done or is there one that kind of sticks out at you or is it kind of all just so different that do you know what there's there's so many there's so many different performances that that have done and each each of them have you know their own like you know real like sort of special moment yeah uh for example like the glastonbury gig it was you know we were we were there playing on stage and there's so many other like you know, high-end headline acts going on around. And, you know, like a lot of the stuff going on at Glastonbury's dance music, rock, pop, you know, lots of things like that. And to actually see people, like, come to the stage and actually really, really dance around and just be having a great time. Yeah. You sort of, like, it feels like a real win. You're sort of thinking, yeah, well, you know, it's all very well that there's a headline act on the stage two down from us. But these people have actually decided to stay and listen to what we're doing and they're dancing around, they're having a great time and they haven't just passed us by. So, you know, it's not... Yeah, that sort of like feels really reassuring as a musician and that becomes really enjoyable seeing that people are having such a great time in front of you. Yeah, I think Glastonbury is really great for that. You know, when I, I know when I played there, like we were like a student band, you know, we were like 
it's a massive festival. Who's going to drop in and see, you know, this little tiny band from Bath or whatever? Yeah, loads of people were there. It's like people just turn up and they're like, yeah, we're ready. We want to hear what you've got. <laughs> and it's so cool. Like, just so willing to, to listen. Yeah. And um, and dance, like you said. And it's just, um, it is a great, great festival. You know, no matter if you're a big or a small band. Exactly. And people appreciate good music. And if they hear it, they'll they'll get involved and they'll enjoy it. Yeah. You know, doesn't you don't necessarily have to be a headline artist to to have that enjoyment. And everyone started somewhere. Like you don't, you know, on the whole, it's very rare that you just go from learning an instrument in school or at home to headline act at Glastonbury all of these musicians like they've done that middle stage as well yeah and even if you think they haven't you know like because there's some famous bands where they were famous very young or whatever it might be or even like solo acts you know especially with YouTube at the minute people like Justin Bieber the thing is like they did that work they've just done it in a different way you know they did all that early stuff online and it was still a performance and they still had to work hard because there's still 20 other musicians or probably thousands of other musicians doing the exact same thing but they've obviously done something in order to get that fame it's it doesn't just spot you know i record a cover of justin bieber and now i'm famous that there's there's steps through that path and and obstacles which need to be overcome of course when you got somebody like like that who's a solo artist or singer he's got session musicians that travel around with him yeah it might be that when he plays an la show he's got different musicians to when he plays a european show and there's you know there's a lot to be said about being that session musician that's in that band yeah yeah they've been picked by him like a lot of people will think that you know his reps or whatever just picked out a band for him that's not how that works even if you perceive someone as not a musician they want to pick the guys that they go on stage with every night. They want to pick the guys that they can get on with. They're not going to go, you're the best musician in the world, so you're in my band. That's not like that two-way street. No, I mean, we, we couldn't, you couldn't have that anyway because part of your performance is your interaction with the other musicians on stage. Yeah. And if you're playing with people that you can bounce off, it makes for that, you know, much of a better performance. It's one of the big performing skills, isn't it? It's yes. not just about standing there playing the tunes or singing the songs absolutely amazingly. If we want to hear that, we'll just stick YouTube on or put our favourite CD in the player. That's it's it. that extra elevated thing, isn't it? It's seeing the interaction between the, the musicians, that sort of live spontaneous result that comes of it. And if you haven't got that sort of rapport with people, it's not going to happen. It's going to feel very, very clinical and not that sort of great thing that music gives us. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like you said, it's something that you need to develop and practice in itself, isn't it? You know, be that by playing in bands or be that something that you do by yourself creating your identity. It's something you need to practice. And kind of on that same process do you do you still practice a lot now or are you kind of doing that as part of your playing probably not this year but in general 
So, so sorry, do you mean do I still like practice just my sort of technique and individual side of things or is it more of a practice of performance? Well, just kind of anything really. Do you still now as a more developed musician, what part do you practice? Do you practice your kind of live performance thing or is it more of a concerned focus on your instrument? So, do you know, actually, the more recently and even, you know, before this year, my sort of out and out sort of sat down focused practice has been quite reduced compared to when I was sort of learning at school. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I have really tried to do is really sort of focus in on that time. We've all got really busy lives and sort of like being a teacher as well. There's all the extra things that come with it. Maybe you're out doing a school concert in the evening or you're preparing for a gig or you're just doing admin. Yeah. Um, so actually being able to sit down and do two or three hours practice in the evening is a lot of the time really, really unachievable. Yeah. But one thing that I will really always try and do is practice smart. Yes. I'm sure we probably come back to this later, but um, let's go on to it now. just like making use of that time. If you've got half an hour, you know, how can you really, really utilize that half an hour? Yeah. It's no no good just playing through the piece. Maybe all I'll do is just focus on a bowing technique that I'm trying to do or like a little ornament that I'm trying to fit into a piece. Um, and, and then sort of everything that I've learned up until this point, that cumulative knowledge, that sort of gets me to the stage where I can just play through the piece. I'm just wanting to like really, really hone it and get it sounding great. So instead of just playing the melody loads of times over and over and over again, yeah, I can I can already sort of do that. And what I want to do is look at how I can make it more interesting, how I can put an emphasis on that note. Yeah. And certainly if I'm learning a new piece, I've I'm listening to it all the time. You know, I've got it yeah. I've got it in the car. You know, I do a lot of driving between schools and if I'm learning stuff i'm just doing listening all the time and while i'm listening to the piece i'm not just you know listening to it in the background i'm sort of like really trying to pick out things from it like kind of active listening yeah like listening yeah, so, listening to all the parts and trying to figure out where your bit sits within those bit parts yeah or if there's you know if there's like a passage of quavers where's the where's the emphasis coming is it coming at the start of every four or is it becoming more interesting like being on the second fourth fifth and seventh quaver yeah instead of just the you know the first of each group of four and things like that that then i can when i get home and have got a bit of chance to practice i can start to try and practice that you know i'm oh, trying to put that emphasis in a different place yeah it's kind of being like more specific within your practice isn't it you know really being like this little bit needs to be practiced and i i actually think that if you're able to do that then you're probably hour of practice a week if it's really refined could be just as useful as five or six hours of unrefined practice you know if you're really really focusing on that that micro detail or or that specific thing in a very finite way then you're probably pushing your playing up but in in kind of chunks rather than pushing it up on a slow gradual incline yeah and um, I think that's something we develop as we get more used to practicing and, you know, getting into that mindset, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a, a thing as well with the de with the development. I mean, obviously, at a very early stage of learning an instrument, you know, if you're grade one or two, you're not going to be like listening to the little nuances of what's going on. 
no. you know, you're just you're going to be happy if you've identified that as, oh yeah, that note's in E, and I play it like this, and I've managed to keep my bow straight on the violin, and I've made a great sound. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But that's where practice like becomes like has to evolve as you progress as a musician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it doesn't evolve, like I said, it, it it's a very gradual incline. I think especially when you're looking at more advanced techniques, you know, things that take smaller movements of your hand or quicker movements, you you have to be so focused to to get get that going. And is that a tip you try and tell your students to be a bit more focused in their practice regime? Or yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always sort of trying to say to students like practice smart. Yeah. yeah, like a lot of people always, or my students always say to me, oh, I didn't have a chance to practice this week, or I just don't have time to practice. Yeah. You know, I always try to say to them, like, yeah, just think about actually how much time you do have. You know, you've got so many minutes in an hour, so many hours in a day, take away the ones you can't do. But you'd be surprised, yeah, even if it's just five minutes. Yeah, I, I, I actually think that, five minutes a day is far more productive than an hour a week. Yeah. Because you're going to pick up the guitar or the violin or whatever you might have, and you're going to focus on what you're going to play. And then you're going to be like, Oh, I've only got a minute left. I better just look at this bit before I stop. And it kind of forces you, like you say, into that smart learning, that smart practicing regime in that, you know you are limited on time, so you can't just sit there jamming along to stuff. If you've like sat down and you've you've played the melody like three, four times, and you've made the same mistake every single time, and then you think, oh, that's twenty minutes up, I'm done practicing. You haven't you haven't progressed. You haven't really got any better. You've maybe got a bit more familiar with the tune, but you've also just got more familiar with the mistakes that you always have been making. Yeah, yeah. So I always try and get people to sort of, you know, what is that bit that's really hard? Set an achievable goal. You know, if it's, you know, in, in a piece, there's probably actually only one or two lines in the piece or maybe even one or two bars that are really tripping you up. Yeah. And instead of, you know, it's a, it's a sort of good feeling thing, isn't it? If you play through the piece, oh, I always get that bit wrong. Play it again. Oh, I always get that bit wrong. Yeah, yeah. Third time, got it wrong you've not come away from that practice really feeling great you've just thought oh, i just got that bit wrong three times <laughs> and that's it isn't it so then go back to those two bars and just say right tonight's practice session i'm gonna do five minutes on that one bar yeah and i'm just gonna try and make it better either i'm just gonna try and get the tuning really good or maybe i just need to try and build the tempo up yeah and you can sort of really see your progress you can get to the end of your practice session and think yeah, if you were practicing with a metronome, for example, I was able to start my practice session and I could play it at 60 BPM. By the end, I can play it at 110. Yeah, yeah. And th and that's it. It's like really tangible progress, isn't it, that you can see? Yeah, and especially with that tempo increase, you know, you, you've got numbers to prove that you can do it. Like you said, sometimes it's literally only one or two notes that might be tripping you up. It might not even be a full bar or a full section, but if you're able to recognize that that little part that's catching you you can defeat it quite quickly can't you you can master that pretty swiftly as long as you're able to recognize the bit that's getting you and i i think that takes a bit of practice as well yeah and i suppose that's something i'm trying to guide students towards in their lessons yeah is maybe 
being able to pick out those bits that are a problem to them. Yeah. Not necessarily, you know, really going into depth of how to to get around it, but even just the identification of it. Yeah. And a lot of the time it is a speed thing, isn't it? It's just yeah. a case of you've got to get your fingers familiar with it. And learning how to practice is something that, you know, maybe not everyone's taught how to do in their lesson. We maybe spend so much time thinking about this is how you play this note, or this is how you should hold the bow or the plectrum. This is the correct position for your wrist. You should be sitting up straight. Yeah. All those things are really important. But if you've done all that in your lesson and then your teacher says, oh, now go and practice. <laughs> it's like, well, well what? what? What do what I do? do? You know, I'm, I think I'm sitting straight. I think yeah. I'm doing this. Yeah. If you don't know how to get that bar faster step by step. Yeah. That's also I, a really important thing. I only ever let my students pass a song when they think it's ready. I don't think I've ever told a student that a song is complete, ever. Because I think you need to be able to recognise where, if it's right, if it's done. And, you know, you, you get the odd student who's like, I'm done with this one, it's done. But <laughs> they don't. They 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 know that it's wrong and they'll come back with it later. Um, it's quite funny, really. But like you say, that learning a practice technique is um, is a whole skill in itself. And um, maybe that's something we do need to look into more. But we're, we're getting near the end of this episode now. And I, I always like to finish off this with just a really easy question or kind of a question that takes us back to the beginning in a way. And that is, um, how does music affect your adult life now? So we talked about when you were young and your dad was playing guitar, but obviously you've you've grown up now and you need to create the musical part of your life and, and say, how how is it affecting you on the day-to-day? -day? In like, yeah, every single day I listen to music and it, it changes, it, you know, it really helps change my mood. It might be, you know, it's been a hard day teaching or things have gone wrong. Something's been really frustrating. And it's nice just to be able to like sit down and just really relax. And music definitely helps me to relax. Yeah. Uh, but also on the flip side, yeah, I do. I really enjoy surfing. I really enjoy motorbiking and mountain biking. And sometimes, you know, it's just that sort of thing to get you fired up a little bit. And I've, you know, maybe listening to a completely different genre of music there. But you know, there's a reason why action-packed videos have got energetic music. Yeah. And if you're listening to that sort of thing before you go and do that activity, it can really sort of help get you in the right mindset and frame of mind. Kind of focuses you in a bit, doesn't it? Like it, yeah. it, it gets your brain running at the same speed as everything else is running. Yeah, exactly. Or if I'm on the way to a gig and I just, you know, just really want to start getting rid of those butterflies, um, feeling a little bit nervous, you know, I'll put on some music and just, just enjoy listening to it. And yeah, it helps to relax you and get you in that right frame of mind. That's awesome. But also, you know, aside from the everyday listening side of things, I mean, a lot of my friends I wouldn't have met if it hadn't been through music. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's a connector, isn't it? You know, it connects you with people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's obviously the, my colleagues at the music service, but aside from that, you know, I've got friends that I've met at festivals, you know, maybe even people from different countries or parts of the UK. I've got loads of really great friends in the Isle of Man and Scotland and Wales. Yeah. But I wouldn't have met had it not been for those festivals. 
and it's you know it's really nice to get that social side of it or even just you know you've gone down to the pub you've played a gig and maybe somebody's come up to you and chatted afterwards and you get to know them it's can be quite hard as an adult like getting those avenues of new friendship yeah no it it can Mm. and i kind of think that when you're like a child or in school you make friends with people because you're around them all the time but it doesn't mean that necessarily that your ideologies or your um your interests are the same when you're interested in music and someone else is interested in music you've instantaneously got an alignment there whether they're interested in rock and you're interested in jazz it it kind of doesn't really matter you both love music and and it's just that that little bit of alignment that makes you approachable and able to befriend people more easily doesn't it yeah yeah exactly it's just that first initial icebreaker just to get you there and also like you say by nature of it it's almost all like it filters out the people that you're maybe not as compatible with yeah. and just immediately presents you with those people that you might be potentially able to make good friends with yeah, but as yeah. well you know it's just out and out good fun yeah. playing an instrument it's you know it's just great isn't it you get that sense of achievement no matter what your mood is you can just play something that gets you out of your headspace you know you can just kind of like you said about putting the song on the radio or on the cd or whatever it's the same idea you know if you pick up your instrument and you play a specific kind of song it, it gets you into that same headspace i suppose on top of all of that you know how is how does it affect me as an adult music is my sole source of income as well yeah and it's so good to be able to you know everyone always says i wish i could do what i really feel passionate about as a job and you know it's got its highs and lows being a musician uh we all know that but at the end of the day, you know, it's really amazing to think that all that hard work that I've put in through school and practice, you know, countless hours of practice and progression is actually you know, really paying off. And it's, you know, that's how I make a living. If that's your goal, you know, to be able to achieve it is just the best. And I know I've had the same luck in that I get to do the same things. And um, I am really grateful for music for presenting those opportunities for me um but we are at the end anyway i hope that whoever is listening to this podcast has grabbed some inspiration from this maybe they'll go out and practice and start focusing on those micro things that we talked about or maybe even reducing their practice down so that it's really concise remember just as Stuart pointed out every path leads to a goal eventually so why not take them all and until next time Bye. Cheers.